0: That is so kind. Thank you so much. Our offices were next door to each other, where offices no longer exist. My dorm, when I was a student here, was where Wesley stands right now in this garden. Uh, but um, such a treat. Thank you so much, Chris, for that kind introduction. Well, I graduated from the University of Tennessee, but After graduation, I would find myself in this little town called Wilmore, Kentucky. Anybody else? My senior year in college may have been a lot like yours, where you're trying to figure out, oh, no, what do I do next? And when I was 12, I had had a really significant encounter with Jesus. It changed my life forever, So I had this deep sense of love for God. Now, my high school years, I was a little bit spiritually turbulent, to put it mildly. I spent a little more time partying than I did praying, but we're not going to go there today. Uh, Now, my freshman year at the University of Tennessee, one Night, walking home from a fraternity party, I had a defining moment. And you know those moments that mark you and change you. I was walking home from this fraternity party, and really, literally, the Spirit of God just met me on that walk home. And he says, what are you going to do with your life? Literally? Like eternity lives in you, are you going to live eternity through you, or are you going to waste it? And I just remember on that walk home as a freshman just saying, Jesus, I'm in. Like, I know you saved me at 12, I commit my life to you, to follow you wholeheartedly. And so, my senior year uh, of that last semester at UT, I heard uh, a woman who was teaching, and she was talking about something called full-time vocational ministry. I had never heard that term. I didn't know there was such a thing, especially for a woman. Because up to that point, sadly, I had never met a woman in ministry. The problem was she was a nun. I was not called to that. But I did feel called to ministry. And so I came here to Asbury. There were 80 women and 900 men. My father questioned my motives but my motive was pure. I married an optometrist and not a pastor. (laughs) Um, But I came here, and you all, I was so theologically illiterate and immature. Um, I I remember I was just asking Chris if uh, Dr. Kinghorn's son teaches here. He's not here in the room, but I took church history, and my first semester I knew nothing, but I was so excited when Dr. Kinghorn started talking about Martin Luther. I'm like, Yes, I know him. Except it was some guy born in the 1500s, you know, not this guy I grew up with. So I was out again. I hope I'm an encouragement to you some way in your studies just to keep persevering. I have such deep appreciation for this institution um, because it took a naive 22-year-old who just wondered, like, really? God? Could you use my life? And I'm here to testify 40 years later that a willingness, an openness, and a humility, God can do a lot with that. So the whole Bible, um, this is our series that we're in today, the whole Bible for the neighborhood. So I thought it was appropriate for us to use our text of the parable that answers the question, so who is my neighbor? Who is that? And how do I love them? Now, this incident that Luke is recording for us takes place with an expert of the law who is testing Jesus with a question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus does what Jesus does so often, you all know it. When someone asks him a question, he answers with what? A question, right. So how do you read it? And this is this guy's opportunity. Answers perfectly. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus, Deuteronomy, he gets it right. And Jesus says, you have answered well. Now, this guy isn't done. Um, He wants to justify himself. He is, remember, an expert of the law. And so he asks the question now, who is my labor? My neighbor. And wanting to justify himself as this expert of the law, he kind of sees this encounter with Jesus as a courtroom scene. However, Jesus sees this this interaction not as a court of law, but a court of the heart, of his heart, a court of life. And so he tells this parable. There's this guy who's traveling down from Jericho, from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he's attacked by robbers. They strip him, they beat him, and it says they leave him half dead. You can just see it, can't you? Now, along comes a religious leader, a priest, who happens to just be on this road, but he does what? Tyler read it so well. I was so with you. He passed on the other side. Now, good thing there's a Levite, another religious leader, who just happens to be on the same road but what he passes by the other side but then there's a Samaritan no title only a description of where he's from which by the way would not gain him influence or favor but this man doesn't pass by the other side what does he do He moves in close. And here's the question I've been wrestling with in this text. As I've been reading it, I've been letting it read me. And I ask this question, wait a minute. What happened here? What happened here? Why did the two religious guys, given titles of authority and leadership in the religious culture, serve in the parable as who not to be. How does that happen? Because God, I don't want it to happen to me. And, And what? What does it look like then for me and for you to live our lives in such a way that Jesus in the end would say, Oh, them go and do likewise. Model your life after him or her. That's what loving your neighbor looks like. So question number one, Like, why did two religious guys that had titles of such authority and influence in the religious culture serve as a person not to be in this parable? Here's where I landed. When your title becomes more important than your integrity and testimony, you are in dangerous territory. Never let your title replace your integrity or the truth of your testimony. Seems to be the warning to us. Somewhere along the way, I don't know when it was, but somewhere along the way, these guys forgot what matters more than their title was their integrity. Somewhere along the way, where was it? What happened? That these religious leaders seem to care more about their title than their actual testimony, the life they give witness to. You know, there's lots of titles scattered throughout this text. Did you see it? There's the expert of the law, the priest, the Levite. What's interesting to me is the one person in the text to model for us does not have a title. He does have an adjective that's been given in the title that Tyler read. He's not just the Samaritan. Who is he? He's the good Samaritan. Not a title, but an adjective, a descriptive of his character. Now, listen, I get it. You're here at Asbury. You're listening to this podcast. You're online. And you're here because you are literally working for a title. Like, you're working on obtaining a title. Like, what are those? Those titles that you're kind of working on here. I, I, I don't even know all the degrees that are still here, but I imagine some of you are working to be a pastor. Like, that's going to be your title. A missionary. Maybe you're working on your doctorate. Maybe you're working on being a counselor or a youth leader or an education director. There's lots of titles that are costing you lots of money and lots of time. Just persevere. It will be worth it. But let me be absolutely clear with you today. A title will come with your job, but a title does not determine your influence. A title may come with your job, but a title will not determine your character. A title will come with your job, but it does not determine your integrity. Your title will only take you so far, but it will be your integrity that will be remembered in the end. A title may give you influence, but the moment your influence is more important than your integrity. You are on a slippery slope. You are in dangerous territory. So how do we avoid that? Never lead from your title. Lead from the freshness of your testimony. You have to have one. Your testimony, I know it's old language, but it's powerful language. It's powerful truth. Your testimony, it's what you know, not the person next to you, what you know to be true in your core. Because you, have, you are a witness to something you've experienced of God. That's what your testimony is. It's something you know to be true. So here's my question for you. Like if we were to break into small groups, I was to hand you the microphone. What's your testimony? What is it right now? What do you know to be true in your life? Because you know some things. There may be some places you're grappling, but there's some things you know to be true. It's your testimony. What has God revealed to you in the past? How is God revealing himself to you since you've been here at Asbury? And what about just today? Where can you stand and testify that his mercies are new every morning? Listen, I can testify that at 12, the power of of the cross met me. The truth of who Jesus is and what he offered me was so real. It's as real as it was then as it is today. I can testify of God's provision in my life that after years of infertility, followed by extensive surgery that required a hysterectomy at the age of 30, I can testify that God is a God of provision who gave me three amazing kids through the gift of adoption. I can testify that when you're on a church staff where the leadership decides integrity isn't as important as their title... ...and end up in an affair, I can testify that God can use you and others as a remnant of integrity... ...to heal and not walk away from the church. I can testify that when your own life is compromised by the same addiction that has had a generational stronghold and destroyed your own family members around you, that you can find your way out to a life of recovery that brings freedom and hope to others. I can testify that you can live sober one day at a time for 27 years this year, and I can testify that 27 years of sober living one day at a time for that disease Wants to destroy you and take you out, will not do it, but give you a place of honor instead of shame. I can test I can go on, except I have more to my sermon. I can testify. Friends, that's how we stay fresh. That's how we live in integrity. It's not just the wins, it's the challenges as well. We testify. We testify. So what can you testify today? And from that place, we become men and women who are compelled then to love, compelled by love, to love our neighbors, the people we live next to literally, but also the people we just, like the parable, encounter along the way. We encounter them along the way, and what we see is that Jesus is saying love. Love, just love like that. So what do we learn from the text on how we do that? How do we love? Just one thing, and there's many. But here's one that we can chew on. What we do is we press in. We don't pass by. We press in. We don't pass by. The priest and the Levite had the same action and response when they saw this guy half dead. They passed by on the other side. Don't do it. We will not be those kind of people. We won't pass by. We will press in. We won't walk away. We will move towards. We will see and we will care. Remember the command? We are to love our neighbor as ourselves. In other words, we just do for them what we wish someone would do for us. That's where we start. In this moment. What would I want someone to do for me? When I see someone in need or suffering, I ask myself if I were in their situation or circumstance, what would express love to me? What would be an expression of love to me if I were in their place? What would love look like? What would it feel like if I were in their shoes? whether it is the woman at Kroger serving me by helping me pay for my groceries, I mean, not literally, but tell me how much I actually owe her, or the guy who is bagging them, what can I do today if I were in their shoes just to bring the love of Christ to them? Really, it's just loving your neighbor as you want to love yourself a book that I have found myself in in the last two weeks is by David Brooks, New York Times columnist and author. The book is called How to Know a Person, The Art of Seeing Others Deeply and Being Deeply Seen. And he says in that book that our culture today is facing an epidemic of blindness, of not seeing, an epidemic of blindness. He says, we live in an environment in which political animosities and technical dehumanization and social breakdown undermine connection. They strain relationships, erase intimacy, and foster distrust. We're living in the middle of some sort of vast emotional, relational, and spiritual crisis. The percentage of Americans, he says, who said they have no close friends quadrupled in the last 10 years. And one survey said 54% of Americans reported that they have no one who knows them well. An epidemic of blindness. But I want to take it one step farther. Here's the deal, guys, ladies. We know our battle is not against flesh and blood. It is against powers and principalities that are at work all the time to destroy, to bring down. And if I were to name a spirit or a power at work today that I see so prevalent, not just in the world, but sadly, in the church, I would call it this, a spirit of disregard. The spirit of disregard. It's exactly what's at work in this religious system that we just read about in the the parable. These guys who were in the system but could not see, did not see, a spirit of disregard that says, I see you, but I pass by you. I disregard your presence or your worth. I see you in pain, but I'm staying away. I see you're alone, hurting, that you've been hurt, and maybe that I'm the one who did the hurting, but I'm out. I see you, but you don't matter. You don't matter enough to cause me inconvenience, to cause me sacrifice of my own time, or God forbid, my own repentance in some way that I've hurt you. I see you, bottom line, but I don't care. That's a spirit of disregard. And it's horrible, and it is hurtful, and it is prevalent. And that's why Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. That's how you combat the spirit. And for those of you that have confronted this spirit of disregard and you know the pain, I am so sorry, especially if you've known it in and through the church. Because we have a generation of kids that aren't around because they are keenly aware of this spirit. And they know it's not Jesus. They want Jesus. They just won't put up with this spirit. And they have come along and they have flipped the tables. And now we leaders have to invite them back to set them. To set the table with love, with care. If you've been hurt in this way, or you know someone that has, you get healed the same way this guy who was left half half dead by the side of the road, you surround yourself with those that won't let you stay on the side of the road half dead but are really willing to get you to a place of healing. That's what he did, and that's what we need to be, and that's what you and I need in our lives, people that will come alongside of us and say, you know what, I'm willing to pick you up and let your blood get on me. I'm willing to carry you on my horse's back to get you to a place where you can heal. I'm willing, like the four guys who carried the paralyzed man, to dig through the clay roof and get you down to the feet of Jesus where you can heal. Because you can. I know that to be true in my own life. And it will be a spirit of mercy and kindness. Kindness. I saw it on Emily's Bracelet before when we were praying, kindness. It will be kindness that combats this spirit of disregard. And it is a fruit of the spirit. I meet a lot of nice people. Interesting thing about nice, nice is not a fruit of the spirit, kindness is. And God is raising up people marked with kindness and mercy. So will we be someone worth talking about? Like this Samaritan, this good Samaritan, whose life is marked by kindness and mercy. One who sees more than a problem in people, but an opportunity compelled by love. I love what Mother Teresa says. She says, not all of us can do great things, but all of us can do small things with great love. It's just small things, but with great love. And so in closing, I want to ask you today, have you lost your way? Like you've passed by. You've come to seminary, and if you're three years in, it's hard to stay fresh because you're kind of saturated, and it's all about the title, and you forgot about the people, the people that drew you to this seat, The, the people that drew you to this place because you had a burden and a calling and a burning in your spirit. Maybe that's you. You just go, yeah, you know what? The title's gotten in the way. I need a fresh touch. Or maybe you're the other group of us that struggle because we are not seen. We've been hurt by a spirit of disregard. I'm so sorry. We see you. He sees you. I want to pray over you and my friend Zach says it's important to make yourself known my friend David Thomas says humility is the currency of awakening you want awakening in your life you stand and so as we pray I want us to stand I know there's not many in the auditorium there will be people listening maybe you're online you stand where you are but we're gonna pray for each other if you just need a fresh touch the kindness of God in your own life. You just need to be seen. If You need to be renewed, revived. I want you to stand, and then I want those of you around just to lay your hand on a friend. Is there anyone that would just make themselves known? Just say, "I, I just need prayer today. I want more. Yeah, just more. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Let humility bring awakening in our lives. We need a new touch. We need more of you. God, you are the opposite of a spirit of disregard. You are a kind, loving Father who knows how to care for us, who knows how to tend to our wounds, who knows how to empower us in such a way that we are set forth to be light in darkness, kindness in the midst of disregard, care in the midst of unseenness. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Lord, we want to be kind people who, who are the aroma of Christ compelled by love. Now, would you just lay your hand, if you're close to someone, just lay your hand on them. Just pray, God, come, 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 Holy Spirit. Heal where there's wounds that have been inflicted, uh, empower where there's complacency and uh, just numbness, more of you, less of us. Now, would you all stand with me, please? And we stand in union, declaring God, we will be men and women, not led by titles, but do whatever it takes to be men and women of integrity, with fresh testimonies of who you are and how you love and how you're calling. God, come. We need a fresh testimony, some of us. Awaken us to your word to be not more than just study, but to let it study us. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit.